0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. The ultimate question is not, is there a God or is there not a God? The ultimate question is not, deism, there's a God, or atheism, there is no God. Because if you believe there is no God, then you don't have an ultimate question. Just check whatever boxes you need to get done here on earth and and then you're done. The ultimate question is if there is a God, has he communicated to us his story and his expectation? If so, he's a very kind God, a very relational God. Or has this God not communicated to us his story? or his expectations of us. If if he has not done that, then he's a very cruel God, a very distant God. So the ultimate question for everyone in this room, the ultimate question for those in the chapel, the ultimate question for those who are watching online, is simply this. Has God communicated his story to us? Has he communicated, related, his expectations of us? And I submit to you today a very big, yes, he has. And his son, Jesus, is just the underlining of the story of God. And his expectations of us as his creation. From the Alico building to the Empire State Building, and I know those often get confused, from Legos to your house, the most important thing is the foundation. If a foundation is is strong, if a foundation is real, then what is built upon it will be lasting. You see, the foundation of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. If Christ's resurrection did not happen, we don't need to be here today. We don't need to be singing. We don't need to be gathering. In fact, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then we should have no hope whatsoever. But this foundation of the resurrection of Christ, it has been lasting and it has been secure for 2,000 years now. So here is how the story seemingly ended. With your copy of God's Word, as you go with me, please? The Gospel of John. Relatively new to church, relatively new to opening your Bible, is the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you'll see Acts in Romans. You can share with someone nice around you. If there's no one nice around you, you might want to go sit somewhere else. We'll also have the scriptures on the screen behind me as well. John chapter 19. Let's begin in verse 28 together. This will be the only story we look at today. It's the great story. So keep your Bible open or your phone on to this passage. John chapter 19. We'll begin in verse 28 Again, this is how the story seemingly ended. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished the debt's been paid and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit it was a friday a friday evening the beginning of of sabbath for the jews and the jews wanted this death to hurry along ironically they had a big day the next day to celebrate god The Jewish leaders, they they asked the Roman soldiers to break the legs of the three. The two criminals and Jesus. You see, if you broke the legs of someone on a cross, they would no longer be able to push themselves up with the weight leveraged on the nail in between their ankles. They can no longer push themselves up to gasp for breath, and so you would die. In fact, actually, you would die on a cross by suffocation. The two thieves were still alive, at least according to verse 32. They had their legs broken. But Jesus, our Jesus, had already died. And in not breaking his bones, the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 12 was fulfilled, which was written 600 years before the cross. Let's pick it up in John 19, verse 38. After these things, meaning that the death of Christ, after they had broken the legs of the two criminals, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus... But secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Did you catch the amount of spices that Nicodemus brought in verse 39? A little extra. Uh, Normal Jewish burials would call for five pounds of spices. 75 pounds is an extraordinary amount. This is a quantity to, to, to bury royalty. And Nicodemus, he, he shows up declaring his allegiance. You might remember earlier in John chapter 3, Nicodemus had, had come at night and, and Jesus had told him, you must be born again. Jesus also told him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe upon him would not perish but would live forever. But now this time Nicodemus is showing up to declare his allegiance. It's in stark contrast to that first encounter when he was Nick at night, not wanting anyone to know. You really can't hide 75 pounds of spices. That's 15 bags of five pounds of, of sugar. Nicodemus wasn't burying a king. He was burying his king. And the darkest day in history leads now to the greatest day in history. John chapter 20 Verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, she came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. First day of the week, that's Sunday. That's why we continue together every Sunday. And this verse right here, verse 1 of chapter 20 is, is so honoring of this woman, Mary Magdalene. This is honoring of, of all women. The first one there was a brave, grieving woman. She was there early, the scripture says right here, meaning she was a devoted follower of Christ, and she saw that the stone was gone. All 4,000 pounds of it rolled away. So she ran, verse 2. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Mary runs back to the disciples, and she finds Peter, Simon Peter, That The one whom Jesus loved, you'll love this, is John, the guy writing this. He just wants us to all know, for all of eternity, that he was Jesus' BFF. Like, I'm the one he he loved the most. Just want to make sure you know that, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, hmm, I wonder who he's talking about, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John also wants us to know for all of eternity that he won the race. Between he and Simon Peter, he he was the winner. Now, you need to know that that Peter is older than John. And so, so some of my younger brothers in the room might need to know this. As you get older, you don't get faster. So John outpaces Peter and they make their way to the tomb. Pick it up here in verse five. And stooping to look in, this is speaking of John, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. And Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. So you get the picture here. Here's, Here's John. He runs, again, he gets there first. He comes to the tomb. He does not go into the tomb. He stops at the entrance of the tomb. He stoops down and he looks in, but not Peter. Oh, Peter, he runs into the tomb. You might remember this about him. Peter does not have the reverse gear. Like He's always just 100% into everything. Peter is that guy that, that said things when it did not need to be said. He's the guy that did things when it did not need to be done. And he goes into the tomb. And what does he find there? He finds that linen cloth lying there and that face cloth which had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't lying with the cloth, but folded up. Folded up. Here's an Easter miracle. A man folded something. That's, that's absolutely uh, amazing, right? The very first miracle at Easter. Now, ladies, it is the Son of God, so don't raise our expectations too much of those that, that you live with, your sons or your husbands, Something was folded there in the corner of that face cloth of Jesus. Look at verse, verse 8. Then the other disciple, I love this. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. Just in case you forgot who won the race. John wants to make sure one more time I won that race with Simon Peter. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also now goes in. This gives me goosebumps every time I, see it, uh, I say this. And he saw and believed. He believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Can I show you four things that I think are very significant in this account? There's there's several gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that write about the resurrection and their viewpoint and what they saw and what they experienced. And the Holy Spirit gave them permission to write these things down for us. But I want you to see four significant things to this account, to what we just read just then. Here's the first thing. I love this. A woman was the first there. You know, women didn't have equal legal standing in that time. Their word was not as strong as the word of a man, at least in a courtroom. So if John's going to make up some fantastic story about a resurrection, he would not have had a lady's account as the cornerstone, nor make her the human hero of the story here. I say to you, it actually gives a weighted validity to the reality of an empty tomb that the writer here puts the spotlight on the female, on the lady. This was not the norm, the cultural norm, 2,000 years ago. In fact, later on in this chapter, verses 11 through 17, Jesus reveals himself to Mary. This might be good to know. Mary was the very first to see him. Here's another significant thing to this account. Secondly, there are two eyewitnesses to the resurrection two eyewitnesses to this empty tomb, you've got John and Peter. Now, interestingly enough, in a Jewish court, you have to have two eyewitnesses to support any kind of statement. You have to have two eyewitnesses for any proof of a testimony. And these two men, they provide an eyewitness testimony that the tomb was empty. Now, these two men, they're stout and they're strong. In fact, they'll go on to write seven of the, the books in the New Testament, It was John and Peter who dropped everything to follow Jesus. And listen, they will give up everything for the resurrected Christ. Peter will be crucified upside down. John will be banished to an island in exile. Men don't give up their lives for a hoax. It's not just these two that were eyewitnesses. Jesus is going to come to them later on in this chapter, verses 19 through 28, not just to to Peter and to John, but to all the disciples. And then Jesus is going to show his resurrected self to 500 people. Third significant thing about this account, the stone was removed. Did you see that in in verse 1, that the stone was gone? We need to know that the stone had been sealed but with a Roman wax seal making that stone and that tomb the property of the Roman government. It was guarded by eight Roman soldiers, which means it was extremely secure. And that, steel, that seal was, was broken, and that approximately 4,000-pound stone was, was rolled back, and the soldiers were nowhere to be found. The penalty of leaving your post as a Roman soldier was Death. So certainly that means that something greater than the fear of death, oh, I don't know, like an earthquake and an angel looks like lightning, moved those soldiers from their position. Fourth, the grave clothes were not stolen. Do you see that in verse six, the the clothes that that were surrounding, the linen cloths that were surrounding Jesus' body, they're, they're still there. The valuable linen grave clothes were still in the tomb the most expensive clothing a Jewish person would wear was what they wore to their own burial chambers. Clothing was valuable. Remember before this, the soldiers actually gambled, rolled some dice to see who could take the robe or the outward cloak of of Jesus. That means there was not someone who broke in. There was someone who broke out. The resurrection of Jesus is the most Staggering claim in all of history. No other major world religion even claims a resurrection. Why is that? Because resurrection is a hard thing to pull off. But I'll say it again. 2,000 years later, it's still the cornerstone of Christianity. And listen, Christian, it's the cornerstone of our salvation. There's four things that, that the resurrection of Jesus means Follower of Christ. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, you're in the chapel today, not a follower of Christ, watching online, not a follower of Christ, these are four things that the resurrection could mean to you. First, God is for us. The cross and the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ and the cross of Christ, it shouts out to us that God is for us. He is for our good. We were separated from God, and now God begins to close the gap that existed between us and him because of the cross, because of the resurrection of Christ. That gap is clothing. He is not against you. And some of you need to hear this. God is not exhausted by you. Amen. It is his deep desire that no one would perish. This is his deep desire that no one would spend eternity away from his gracious presence. He's not some distant God who forgot to relate his story to us or his love to us. He is real. He is kind. He can be known. Please hear this. Because of the cross and the resurrection, be reminded today that God is for us. Secondly, God has done the impossible to bring us to him. Quite literally, God used a, death, a, a, a death-defying feat to bring us into his presence. I mean, resurrection isn't extreme. It's impossible. Unless you're God's son. If people being raised from the dead after three days was normal news for all of us, Easter would be no big deal whatsoever. I mean, they say that, that death and taxes are, are inevitable, but no one is in jail for... Not dying on time, because death is the great equalizer it 's something that we 'll all experience. No one in this room will be able to skip death. The mortality rate of humanity is running right at one hundred percent right now, but then God does it. He does the impossible by sending us his son his treasure the savior of the world who then rises from the dead and in doing so our sin no longer needs to separate us from god god has done the impossible to bring us to him here's the third thing i want you to see from this story but also the third thing the resurrection does mean or can mean to you god's promises to us are always solid all throughout the bible through the old testament God said over and over again, I will save you. He promised us he would send a promised one. And he told us that this promised one would would forgive us, would heal us, would let us see God. God had promised all throughout that he would send a Messiah, his own son, his own treasure. And that this Messiah would die yet return to life. And so if God is good on this promise, he's good on every promise. He promises to walk with us. To never leave us. To provide for us. To forgive us. To live within us. To sustain us. And in his time to take us home. God's promises are solid. We see this in the resurrection of Jesus. Fourthly. God has made a way for us to live through our death. Because Jesus conquered death. Death does not have to conquer those who are in Christ. Death can... Take away our breath; it cannot take away our life. I was at the bedside yesterday with the sweet lady from Highland. Has been here; she and her husband thirty plus years. As history would have it, I've known her since I was seven years old, growing up here in Waco. She's close to seeing the Lord. Yesterday, I would say that she had one foot in heaven and one foot on earth he's going to pass soon I'm going to pass you're going to pass one day we will all experience death but because Jesus has the final word over death in his resurrection death for his people it's not the end it's the beginning you see heaven isn't the afterlife it's the real life we're just living a really dull pre-life right now before we get to see Christ face to face. You see, God has made a way for all of us in this room, all who are watching, to live through our own death. You see, friends, the two most important days of your life is your first day and your last day. I look around the room and need to say to you, congratulations on making it in your first day. You did it. People celebrated. There were tears of joy. And you will live on average about 27,000 days or so. And then you experience your last day. There's sadness around. Some of you might live a lot less than 27,000 days. Some a little less. Maybe some right at 27,000. Some more and some a lot more. But the truth is all of us in this room, all watching, we have a first day and we will have a last day. And you don't get to choose when that last day is. In fact, I would probably say on behalf of all of us, we're not necessarily ready for that last day. But here's the big question. Are you prepared for that last day? You see, Jesus conquered death. His death and Christian, our death as well. And if you're not in Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus today, you can put your life your trust, your sin, your past, your future, all of you onto Jesus. And when you do that, your sin is forgiven, your debt is paid. And then you belong to a death-defying Lord. Today, today, if you are in Christ, the resurrection of Jesus means you live forever today today if you're not a follower of Jesus you can put your life into his and live forever would you stand with me please and let's pray together God we come to you again We join millions and millions around the globe today who are celebrating unrestrained that that tomb is still empty and Jesus still reigns and he is the Lord of heaven and earth and for those in Christ, he is our Lord as well. Jesus, you conquered your death and you conquered our death for those in Christ. And for those not in Christ today, they can turn to Jesus today and find life and life that lasts forever and the peace of God and the joy of God and forgiveness that only comes through this sacrifice. God, we remember today the cross. We remember today the costliness of our rescue. But God, we also remember today with shouts and with joy. That Christ is risen from the grave. That He is the Lord. He is your Son, the conquering Lamb. And for those in Christ, we will follow you, Jesus, right into life. Through our death into life. We cannot get over this celebration. That God, you raised your son up, and you also raise up your daughters and your sons. It is through Christ that we celebrate and we sing with joy.